My dear brethren and sisters, life never goes quite the way we want it to, does it? And it wouldn't be good for us if it did. We all know this, of course, and we accept it. But sometimes, in our lives, things get really, really bad. So bad, in fact, that there seems no way out. It is as if we have come right up against a complete brick wall and there is no way round it or through it. We are completely helpless in the face of imminent personal catastrophe. There were occasions like that for many, probably all of God's servants, and there certainly were in the lives of Saul and David, who we are presently reading about. We have read of one such occasion for David this morning, when Saul's men were practically upon him and there was no escape route. We'll come back to this at the end. But Saul too has a very difficult situation earlier in his life. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, lead me not into temptation. But we know God doesn't tempt us, for James says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But God sometimes does test us. So the idea is then that we pray God will not bring us to the test. Being weak and foolish, we know that we are liable to err in trying circumstances. So we pray, God will not bring these upon us. However, sometimes in his love and wisdom, such tests are necessary for our spiritual development and are therefore bound to occur. So thinking of Saul, Let's remind ourselves of a testing time in his life. Early in his career, as the first king of Israel, Samuel spoke to Saul and said to Saul, And thou shalt go before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down unto thee to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days shalt thou tarry till I come and show thee what thou shalt do. Well, before Samuel came, things were getting pretty desperate for Saul and he found himself in a very difficult situation. Jonathan, we read, had smote a garrison of the Philistines and they naturally speaking, wanted their revenge. So a great army is mustered against Saul and Israel. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel. This is a quotation. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people 
as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and pitched in Michmash, eastward from Beth-Avon. At this point, there were only 2,000 men with Saul against a Philistine army of 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen, 36,000 in total, six times six, 36, the number of the flesh or the number of man squared. The flesh opposing the spirit on a vast scale as it usually does. So what was Saul to do? But things were to get worse. The men with him, outnumbered as they were, started to lose their nerve and their faith, and they started to desert him. They escaped anywhere they could. They hid in caves, thickets, rocks, high places and pits, we read. And some took refuge on the other side of the River Jordan. Those who remained with Saul, we read, followed him trembling. They were in dire straits indeed. Saul knew that Samuel was due to come. This was his only hope, and doubtless he was desperate for him to come. But seven days had expired, and Samuel still had not come. What could he do? Well, we know the story. In desperation, he decided he must offer the sacrifice. Well, when Samuel did turn up, he had sad words for Saul. We'll quote, And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel for ever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people. Because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Well, this was Saul's first big test but he had not taken seriously enough the command of the Lord. Had he been wise, the Lord would have established his kingdom over Israel forever. The subsequent history, perhaps even the line of the Messiah, may perhaps have been different. So Saul did not wait upon the Lord. He lost patience and failed his test. Nevertheless, God did deliver him from evil in that the army of the Philistines were put to flight by the actions of Jonathan and his armour-bearer. Opportunities were to arise, giving Saul a chance to redeem himself, at least partially, but instead he only made things worse. For instance, when he failed to carry out the Lord's command against Agag and the Amalekites, on that occasion, Samuel said to him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbour of thine that is better than thou. 
Perhaps Saul wondered who this neighbour that was better than him was. Well, he was soon to find out. A little further on in time, another showdown with the Philistines. The two armies faced each other across the valley between the two mountains. And for forty days, Goliath presented himself morning and evening. Incidentally, again connected with the flesh and associated with the number six. Goliath was six cubits and a span tall and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. Physically, he could not be matched. Probably, among the Israelites, the only one to come near a match was Saul himself. Saul was described as head and shoulders above everyone else. Kish, we read, had a son, whose name was Saul, rather quaintly described in the A.V., as a choice young man and a goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward he was higher than any of the people. So being king, he was the one surely most qualified to take on Goliath. But he had proved himself unworthy so far and had twice been reprimanded by Samuel and had made some foolish decisions, displaying a lack of judgment. Consequently, he had probably lost faith and confidence. It could not now be said of Saul, the righteous are as bold as a lion. But there was one, as we know, who was confident in God and had faith enough to take on the giant. And what a wonderful type was enacted when David slew him and beheaded him. As we recall, he took Goliath's head to Jerusalem. This may seem a rather curious and macabre thing to do. Why would he want to take Goliath's head to Jerusalem? But it's a wonderfully prophetic picture of Jesus destroying the devil or sin in the flesh. David in type shows us the seed of the woman bruising in the head the seed of the serpent when Jesus destroyed our enemy, our sin in the flesh. And where was this to happen? Outside Jerusalem, of course, where Jesus was so cruelly crucified. So the head was taken there, where Abraham, in a similar foreshadowing, was to have sacrificed Isaac. But we can see more also in this narrative, as we heard at one of our Bible classes by our brother Ian. We can see also Christ's future role as the stone smashing the image of Nebuchadnezzar, representing the end of the kingdoms of men. Within the narrative are all the main elements of Daniel's overarching prophecies of the image and the four beasts. We have David's lion and bear, representing Babylon and Medo-Persia from Daniel chapter 7. Then the bronze of Goliath's armour and his spear's head of iron, corresponding to the Greeks and the Romans, belly, thighs and legs of the image Daniel 2. And Goliath himself representing the clay of the image, 
the iron and the clay, of course, representing the kingdoms of men as we see them today. Then the stone, representing Jesus, who brought the image down. Such an unlikely and amazing victory, David and Goliath. Proverbial down to our own time, portraying for us the equally amazing, only more so, victory of Christ over sin. And equally unlikely and amazing in the eyes of the world, the return and victory of Christ over the nations soon to take place. They just don't think it can or will happen and are just as unprepared as the Philistines were in their day for the events soon to ensure, ensue in ours. When, when Christ will destroy Gog and the redeemed with him will overcome the Gentile armies as Israel did the Philistines that day after the death of Goliath. But there was an ominous turn of events for David. And it came to pass, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul, with tabrets, with joy and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? On two occasions Saul had been told that he was to be replaced. He must have wondered who by. After this incident things began to fall into place. We read, And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. Yes, the events that day irrevocably changed the future lives of Saul and David and many others also. The catalyst for this change was the song of the women. From then on, Saul seems completely obsessed with destroying David. And David, fleeing as he puts it, as a partridge in the mountains flees from its hunter. Saul was to carry out many evil acts in his manic pursuit of David. Perhaps one of the worst was that recorded in our reading for yesterday, the killing of the Lord's priests at Nob and the slaughter of everyone associated with them and all their cattle and animals. Only Abiathar the priest escaped to tell David about the slaughter and to join him. David had fled to the land fled rather from the land of Judah to escape Saul. But on instructions from the prophet Gad, he now returns to Judah. He's told that the Philistines are attacking Keilah and robbing the threshing floors where the grain was stored. Whenever God's people are at loggerheads 
amongst themselves, as sometimes happens even in our own day, we can be sure the enemies of God will be sure to exploit the situation for their own advantage. Well, upon inquiring of the Lord, he is told to go and smite the Philistines and save Keilah. His men try to dissuade him, but God says again, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into thine hand. So through the hand of God, David saves Keilah, and there was a great slaughter of the Philistines. But in the aftermath of this victory, a shocking turn of events. Saul learns that David is in Keilah. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Unbelievably, Saul interprets the events as God delivering David into his hands for his own benefit. After the catalogue of failures and downright evil things he'd done, sins of omission, sins of commission, he had failed to do the things he should have done and latterly actively pursued a course of action in opposition to God's way. And yet he thought God was with him. How deranged and deluded can a human be? But lest we become condescending or sanctimonious, perhaps we should observe and remember we too are made of the same flesh and blood and are prone to error. We must be careful how we interpret the word of God and events in our own life. This just shows us how humans can be easily deceived and how we can deceive ourselves. We know the scripture in Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and who can know it? However, David gets to know that Saul is plotting against him and realises what Saul plans to do. David must have had some intelligence from Saul's side. This may well have had something to do with Jonathan, Saul's son and David's friend. But surely the people of Keilah would not hand David over to Saul after he had just saved them from the Philistines. No doubt they were terrified of Saul after what he'd just done to the priests and people of Nob. But surely they could not be so ungrateful. David asks Abiathar to inquire of the Lord, Will Saul come down, as his servant has heard? And the answer comes, he will come down. So another question, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the answer, they will surrender you. So David and his men are forced to flee from Keilah. How unbelievably ungrateful. Brother Tennant, in his book, quotes Shakespeare here. Blow, blow, thou winter wind. Thou art not so unkind as man's ingratitude. So, just to digress momentarily, mankind generally is not thankful to God. Are we thankful people? 
for all that God has given us? Anyway, when Saul and his men hear that he is gone, they abandon that plan. David and his men end up in the wilderness, in the hill country of Ziph. But Saul had by no means given up the chase. We read Saul sought him out every day, but God did not give him into his hand. But what a troubling time for David, knowing that any day Saul, full of anger, jealousy and hatred, and his men might be upon him. At that time, David, sorry, at the time, David most needed encouragement, it was provided. And who better than the son of Saul, his great friend Jonathan? He sought out David in his hideout, surely at great personal risk. If Saul had found out, he would have surely killed his own son. Jonathan, who was such an inspiring, encouraging and faithful person, do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home. So God provides for our needs in times of trouble. We know David and Jonathan were never to meet again, and in due course Jonathan would die with Saul at the hands of the Philistines on Mount Gilboa. But we feel certain that they will be reunited in the kingdom, and what a joyful meeting that will be. But things were about to get worse once again for David, as he was to be betrayed by the Ziphites. We read, Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the stronghold at Horesh, on the hill of Hakilah, which is south of Jeshimon? Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Go, yet more sure, make more sure, know and see the place where his foot is, and who has seen him there, for it is told me that he is very cunning. See therefore, and take note of all the lurking places where he hides, and come back to me with sure information. Then I will go with you, and if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Sure enough, David had actually moved on again. Hearing of Saul's latest movements, he now fled to the wilderness of Maon. But Saul hears again of his latest moves, and continually pursuing him, closes in on him. No doubt David and his men were weak from their flight, and exhausted from their nomadic lifestyle forced upon them, whereas Saul had all the advantages and support of the locals. Saul's men were closing in on David, and it was as if the game was up for him. He had come up against that brick wall. But unlike Saul, David in the time of his extremity called upon the Lord, and we have his words in Psalm 54, which I'll quickly read to you. Save me, O God, by thy name, and judge me by thy strength. Hear my prayer, O God, give ear to the words of my mouth, for strangers are risen up against me, 
and oppressors seek after my soul. They have not set God before them. Behold, God is mine helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. He shall reward evil unto mine enemies and cut them off in thy truth. I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. For he hath delivered me out of all trouble, and mine eye hath seen his desire upon mine enemies. We can take encouragement for our lives in the fact that God came to the rescue of David and Saul's men were urgently called away. But in a later age, the flesh was to have its way over the spirit. So let us now think of Christ, whose enemies similarly closed in on him after much pursuit. He was betrayed and handed over to the hatred and jealousy of his enemies. And for him, there was no escape. Evil men did their worst as the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. <laughs>